0: This podcast episode is the last installment of a reading of Ohio Yearly Meeting's Book of Discipline. In our previous episode, we read the section on ministry and oversight. This time, we will start with the section on marriage and finish the discipline with the section on wills. But before we begin, friends might also be interested in knowing about another project we are working on. Ohio Yearly Meeting is translating its discipline into Spanish. It is currently in draft form and available on our website. One can find a link in the show notes to this episode. Marriage. We earnestly advise and exhort friends to wait upon the Lord for counsel and guidance before starting any procedure for marriage. The union of a man and woman is not to be undertaken lightly. Friends regard marriage as a continuing religious sacrament, not merely a civil contract. We believe that marriage is an ordinance of God, appointed for the help and blessing of both partners and for the right upbringing of the next generation. We believe that human sexual intercourse is only appropriate within a marriage relationship and that all adultery is wrong. Divorce and broken homes are a blight to our country, and a great care is needed to be exercised that the union be on right foundation. Even when the marriage relationship fails to achieve its highest possibilities and unhappiness develops, we believe that by patient and prayerful determination, these obstacles may be overcome. Overseers should be aware of sources of outside counseling that are available and have the meeting's permission to recommend the use of Christian counselors and be sensitive to the time to make these recommendations to married couples who may need help. A well-founded marriage is a source of strength, security, and joy, not only to the couple and their family, but to the community and to all whom their lives touch. True happiness and joy in a marriage depends first on the presence of a devoted love, a love which is not the outcome of merely a passing attraction, but which includes a real respect for the personality of the other. Every such union should be undertaken in the fear of the Lord and with a reverent attention to His counsel and guidance. It will be owned and blessed by Him if the love that draws two souls together is sanctified by the larger love of Christ. The utmost importance is a common faith in God, and a mutual desire to open heart and home to the Spirit of Christ. The Friends Marriage Ceremony reflects our belief that the marriage contract is made by the couple themselves, completed and blessed by God. The simple, friendly wedding, where the two concerned say their vows within the framework of a meeting for worship without the help of a third person, is the natural expression of a way of life in which we believe. In the presence of God, and with the support and prayers of their friends, they take each other as life partners, asking His blessing on their union and dedicating their new life to His service. Marriage Procedure In order to do all that it can to assure the stability and happiness of couples who are married under its care, the yearly meeting outlines the following procedure preliminary to the wedding. The couple presents a letter, signed by both of them, to the monthly meeting under whose care they wish to be married, stating that they intend marriage with each other. This letter is minuted by the clerk and a clearness committee is appointed. It is customary for the bride's meeting to have charge of the wedding. In this case, the committee on clearness which this meeting appoints will be for her. The groom writes his own meeting asking for a statement of his membership to be forwarded to the bride's meeting. Before preparing the statement, his meeting appoints a committee on clearness. The original purpose of these committees, from which their name is derived, was to ascertain whether the applicants were free from conflicting marriage engagements. Today, in addition to this requirement, such committees should be concerned to do what they can to help the couple achieve a stable and happy marriage. They should endeavor to give any assistance or counsel which the couple may need. Acceptance of Christian counsel should be a prerequisite for marriage under the care of the meeting. It is recommended that a small collection of books and pamphlets on marriage be made available and kept up to date for the use of couples contemplating marriage. The month following their initial letter of intention, the couple presents a second letter to the meeting, stating that they wish to continue their intentions of marriage and suggesting a time for the wedding at this time the bride's committee on clearness should report and the groom's statement from his meeting should be presented also consent of parents a monthly meeting may permit a marriage to take place without parents consent if it feels that their objection is unreasonable if everything is in order The monthly meeting selects a committee to have oversight of the wedding and appoints the meeting in which the marriage is to take place, preferably on a weekday. This committee should meet with a couple to discuss plans for the wedding and reception, which should be carried out with dignity, reverence, and simplicity. The oversight committee, in conjunction with the monthly meeting clerk, also has the responsibility of informing itself as to the legal requirements for marriage and of seeing That the couple is aware of them and that they are carried out in adequate time after the wedding the oversight committee has the marriage certificate recorded by the monthly meeting recorder sees that the legal report is sent to the county and reports to the monthly meeting on carrying out its duties if either the bride or groom has children by a previous marriage the committee should see that their legal rights are secured If the bride and groom are members of the same meeting, the procedure is, of course, somewhat simplified. If one of them is not a member of friends, their marriage may be under the care of the meeting to which the member belongs, in which case this meeting should appoint committees on clearness for both the member and the non-member. If for good reason the couple wish to be married in the groom's meeting or in a meeting which neither belongs. The Committee on Clearness should always be appointed by the bride's and groom's own home meetings, which then forward their certificates to the clerk of the meeting which is to have charge of the wedding and which appoints the oversight committee. The marriage itself, as stated before, takes place in the meeting for worship, in which the bride and groom rise, usually toward the close of the meeting, take each other by the hand, and repeat the following promise. The groom first. In the presence of the Lord and before these, our friends, I take thee to be my wife or husband, promising with divine assistance to be unto thee a loving and faithful husband or wife so long as you both shall live. The marriage certificate is then signed by the groom first, then by the bride with her married name, and is read aloud by a person selected beforehand. At the close of the meeting, all persons present are invited to sign the certificate as witnesses. We would like to pause our reading for a moment and offer a clarification. At this point in the discipline, the wedding certificate is presented as a form with letters substituting for names and blanks for locations. This makes reading awkward and would detract from the impact of a weighty document. Instead, we will use individuals from history to fill out the certificate and give it some life. Please keep in mind that the reading of the certificate in this way is not intended to be used as an historical reference. An example of the certificate in essence would be whereas George Fox of the village of Fenny Drayton in the county of Leicestershire son of Christopher Fox of Fenny Drayton and Mary his wife and Margaret Fell daughter of John Askew of Kirkby, Ireleth, of the county of Leicestershire, and Margaret, his wife, having declared their intentions of marriage with each other to Bristol Monthly Meeting of the Religious Society of Friends held at Bristol, England, according to the good order used among them, and having consent of the parents, their proposed marriage was allowed by that meeting. These are to certify to whom it may concern that for the accomplishment of their intention this 27th day of the 10th month in the year of our Lord, 1669, they, George Fox and Margaret Fell, appearing in a public meeting for worship of the Religious Society of Friends held at Bristol, and George Fox, taking Margaret Fell by the hand, did, on this solemn occasion, declare that he took her, Margaret Fell, to be his wife, promising, with divine assistance, to be unto her a loving and faithful husband, so long as they both shall live. And then, in the same assembly, Margaret Fell did in a like manner declare that she took him, George Fox, to be her husband, promising with divine assistance to be unto him a loving and faithful wife, so long as they both shall live. And moreover, they, George Fox and Margaret Fell, she, according to the custom of marriage, adopting the surname of her husband, did, as a further confirmation thereof, then and there, to these presents, set their hands. George Fox, Margaret Fox, and we, having been present at the marriage, have, as witnesses, set our hands the day and year above written. Marriage Outside the Care of the Meeting If a member is married outside the care of the meeting, The overseers should either visit or correspond with the newly married couple, expressing the interest of the meeting in their new life. It is our desire and hope that the member will continue his relationship with the society and that the non-member should be made welcome and invited to attend meeting. Additional counsel. We feel it wise that a member should not remarry sooner than a year after the death of a former husband or wife. An interval of time is necessary for a person to readjust his life and to seek guidance for its direction. It is also the judgment of the yearly meeting that, as our state law provide, marriages between first cousins or the children of half-brothers and half-sisters should not be permitted. Since all prior wills are automatically and profoundly affected by marriage and or parenthood, We have thought it well to call attention here to some important advice on wills given at the end of this book. Note, committees of oversight of marriages are urged to contact local or county officials well ahead of time of the wedding in order to assure that both the county officials and friends involved are familiar with the relevant statutes and are prepared to work within them. Friends should be aware that allowances made in the statutes of some states including Ohio, for marriages under the care of friends without the officiation of a person legally registered to perform marriages. Members in Need It is the desire of the yearly meeting that cases of our members in financial need may be tactfully inspected by local meetings. They should extend care as seems prudent, such as finding suitable employment or where work is not available, defraying living expenses, in providing for the education of the children. Friends are urged to be compassionate and charitable in providing funds for these purposes, but to guard against exposing names and conditions of fellow members. Funerals and burial grounds. Two or more suitable friends of each particular meeting should be appointed by monthly meetings to extend their sympathy in the case of death, to offer assistance in regard to funeral or memorial arrangements and to be in attendance at services. Friends are urged to conform to true simplicity in all funeral arrangements, avoiding elaborate and expensive caskets and floral decorations. The simplicity of a meeting for worship is desired in the conduct of funerals. They should be occasions when things temporal are secondary, when the reality of life immortal is deeply felt, and when the presence of our Lord brings hope comfort and consolation to the bereaved. The funeral committee, or a special graveyard committee, is to have care of the burial grounds belonging to the meeting. They will see that the graveyard is kept in good order and the records of internment is accurately kept. They shall see that the exact place of each internment is accurately marked upon the internment chart or plan, one copy of which, at least, is kept safeguarded from loss by fire or other causes in a suitable vault under the care of the custodian of records. A duplicate copy is to be used for the convenience of such committee, but also safeguarded from fire or other hazard. Graves should be marked by plain low stones, giving only the name of the deceased and appropriate dates. Non-members may not be interred in friends' grounds without the consent of the Funeral or Graveyard Committee memorials lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing leave behind us footprints on the sands of time thus wrote poet longfellow and we believe that suitable accounts of our members who have lived exemplary spiritual lives may be an inspiration to those who follow after if therefore any meeting should feel it would be profitable To prepare a memorial concerning a deceased member such memorial is to be sent to the representative meeting for approval and referred to the memorial committee then returned to the representative meeting for final approval and printing instructions meeting houses and grounds trusteeship meetings should make due examinations as to the titles of all meeting houses burial grounds, and other estates which have been vested in trustees and held by them for the use and benefit of the society at large or any of the meetings. Whenever it appears needful, the meeting shall promptly appoint new members to such trusteeships. It is further directed that meetings shall keep exact records of all business transactions, all trusts and conveyances, and indicate where all their minutes, papers, and records have been deposited both meetings and individuals are encouraged to utilize the services of the fiduciary trustees of the yearly meeting. If a preparative meeting ceases to exist, all its properties shall be transferred and conveyed to its monthly meeting. If a monthly meeting ceases to exist without merging or consolidating with another monthly meeting, all its property shall be transferred and conveyed to its quarterly meeting. If a quarterly meeting ceases to exist, Without merging or consolidating with another quarterly meeting, all its property shall be transferred to the yearly meeting. If two monthly meetings or if two quarterly meetings merge or consolidate, all the property of both shall be held by the merged meeting. Such transfer and conveyance shall be authorized by an appropriate minute, duly recorded and the assignment transfer and deed of conveyance shall be executed and delivered by such meetings before they are formally laid down or disbanded, or, in the case of merged or consolidated meetings, at the time of merger. In the event that such action is not taken by the meetings before they are laid down, merged or consolidated, the monthly meeting, the quarterly meeting, or the yearly meeting entitled to receive any such property shall become the equitable owner, and shall be entitled forthwith to require the assignment or conveyance of the legal title to be held by such monthly, quarterly, or yearly meeting under and upon the same trusts as the property has been theretofore held, if it is practical that such trusts be carried out, otherwise upon trusts sooner thereto as the successor meeting may determine. No meeting property shall be distributed or partitioned among the individual members of a meeting. Fiduciary Trustees. The Fiduciary Trustees of Ohio Yearly Meeting of Friends, Barnesville, Ohio, is a corporation not-for-profit. It developed to its present legal form and standing from a suggestion of the Meeting for Sufferings, now the Representative Meeting, in 1924. The duties and functions of this body are, To receive and hold all titles to properties and all trust funds, securities, bequests, legacies, gifts, or endowments that are in the nature of permanent funds now held by the yearly meeting or any of its committees or which in the future may come to them. To invest, care for, and collect the income therefrom and distribute the same as required by the wills of the donors or the direction of the yearly meeting, and to report annually to the yearly meeting. In case of sale of any tract of land belonging to the yearly meeting, the fiduciary trustees are legally qualified upon instruction from either the yearly meeting or the representative meeting to give a marketable title to any such tract without having to secure an order from a court of common pleas. Constituent meetings of the yearly meeting are at liberty to place titles to properties in the hands of fiduciary trustees. They may also invest their trust funds with these trustees. Capital Punishment Our opposition to capital punishment is based on the command of Christ to love and not to kill and on the belief that there is that of God in every man. We believe in the value of every human life and that even the most unfortunate sinner may be reclaimed and brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We feel that a considerate and Christian treatment of all offenders is always possible. We urge friends to work for the complete abolition of the death penalty. Education. The very important subject of education of our youth in piety and virtue, as well as in intellectual pursuits, has engaged the attention of the yearly meeting throughout its history. Friends believe in the sacramental quality of the whole of life. All life should be in education. All education should have religious significance. The deepest aim of Quaker education should be to cultivate an attentive ear and a habit of quick response to the divine leading within each individual. We are concerned to encourage the schools which our children attend to maintain a high standard of moral character and Christian principles, as well as academic excellence. Schools under the care of the yearly meeting have an opportunity to include in their curricula some instruction in Quaker beliefs and principles as well as to create a wholesome and Christian atmosphere in which our youth may grow. Teachers should be employed who are concerned not only to follow Christian ideals but who can also instill in the pupils a desire to be guided by the light of Christ in all phases of life. Many of our meetings we we'll want to foster first-day schools with teachers and leaders who serve voluntarily. The basic aim of these classes is to give each individual spiritual nourishment and to lead him in a growing knowledge of the Bible. Although we must be watchful to provide religious training in our homes, schools, and first-day schools, we must ever keep in mind that attendance at meetings where friends come close to God and to each other is an essential part religious training. Conditions all over the world are changing constantly and create problems which need our prayerful consideration. Conferences, forums, and discussion groups are sometimes helpful in appraising these problems. It is important that we understand them in the relation to the will of God for us. Oaths. Our testimony against the use of oaths is founded upon the following positive command of Jesus. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communications be, yea, yea, Nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Matthew chapter 5, verses 34-37 to 37. Many friends suffered for keeping this commandment. While we should continue to be prepared to suffer for faithfulness, most civil authorities routinely allow a non-ceremonial affirmation or written statement of one's intention to be truthful even though one declines to swear. These provide legal alternatives to swearing and still subject one to civil punishment for intentional untruthfulness, that is to say, for perjury. These legal alternatives should not be used as a way of avoiding suffering for faithfulness to Christ's command, but as an opening to be an even greater witness for Christ. Friends should understand and be prepared to share the scriptural basis of this testimony. But, most importantly, friends need never be anxious when brought before civil authorities, but rather mindful of Christ's promise for such situation that the Holy Ghost will teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. Luke, chapter 12, verse 12. Peace and War It has been the belief of the Society of Friends from its rise that all war is contrary to the teachings of our blessed Redeemer, Jesus Christ. In his Sermon on the Mount, he admonishes us to love our enemies, to bless those who curse us, and to do good to those who hate us. Likewise, when Peter smote the servant of the high priest with his sword, our Lord said to him, Put up thy sword again unto its place, For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Matthew chapter 26, verse 52. In a statement presented to the King of England in 1660, friends declared, The Spirit of Christ by which we are guided is not changeable, so as once to command us from a thing as evil, and again to move unto it. And we certainly do know and testify to the whole world that the Spirit of Christ, which leads us to all truth, would never move us to fight and war against any man with outward weapons, neither for the kingdom of Christ, nor for the kingdoms of this world. As we believe that all war is wrong, so we believe that all preparation or training for war is wrong. Military conscription is inconsistent with the teaching and practices of Christianity. We not only feel abhorrence for the evils of war and the suffering and misery connected with it, but we desire to work actively for peace, endeavoring to remove the economic and political causes of war. We wish to emphasize the brotherhood of all men and that unity and peace can only be achieved by the Spirit of Christ working in the hearts of men. It is our profound belief that the peoples of the world desire peace, but we do not believe that it can be achieved through a policy of military strength. Peace can only be built when men seek to solve their common problems in a spirit of reconciliation and national humility. We must act with love, forbearance, and forgiveness, trusting in God and in His Spirit, working in all men. Today, when talk about defending ourselves against an enemy is very prevalent we would encourage our members to keep in mind that the only true shelter is peace. As members of a society which has always been opposed to war, we must work unfailingly for peace as a yearly meeting as well as in our local communities, ever keeping in mind that peace must begin with ourselves in each individual heart. Jesus Christ called his disciples and still calls us to a deep personal commitment to the way of love. It is only by the working of this spirit through us that the problems of war, hate, and strife can be solved and peace brought to a troubled world. Racial Equality We believe that all races are equal in God's sight. Friends feel the burden of racial discrimination, social injustices, and intolerances, and should do what we can under divine leading to alleviate such wrongs. Recreation. Recreation is important for a full creative life. It should be a time of both physical and mental refreshment. However, we must be careful to choose what is wholesome and uplifting and avoid things that are wasteful of time and money and that tend to draw us away from the true aim and purpose in life. If we are wholly dedicated to a God-filled life, we will endeavor to please Him in both our work and in our recreation simplicity even in times when life was less complex than it is today friends emphasize the importance of simplicity the heart of christian simplicity lies in the singleness of purpose which is required by the injunction to seek first the kingdom of god as men seek to express the spirit of god in their daily lives they realize the necessity of putting first things First simplicity does not mean that all conform to uniform standards each must determine in the light that is given him what promotes and what hinders his compelling search for the kingdom the call to each is to abandon those things that clutter his life and to press towards the goal unhampered this is true simplicity early friends refrain from using the customary names of the month and days of the week since some of these were unquestionably derived from the names of heathen gods. Pertaining to dress, our principle is to let decency, simplicity, and utility be our guide. When one is truly trying to seek first the kingdom of God, he will not be a slave to fashion. Since we believe our bodies to be temples of the living God, we should dress simply and modestly. As in dress, so in all our phases of living we should each one of us strive to follow the dictates of the light of Christ within. Another basic belief of friends is in the equal worth of all men in the sight of God. Early friends avoided titles of respect, tipping of the hat, and the use of the plural you when addressing one person, because these customs originated from the practice of showing undue respect to those in authority and wealth. Temperance It is well known that the use of alcoholic drinks affects the mind and body harmfully and is a factor in a great number of crimes. We urge total abstinence from the use or handling of any intoxicants, not only on the grounds that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, but also on the principle set forth by the Apostle. If meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 13 We wish to stress also that this applies not only to the use of alcoholic beverages but to narcotics, tobacco, or anything that is harmful to the individual. Wills It is recommended that friends make wills in order to prevent the inconvenience, loss and trouble to their beneficiaries of dying intestate and that they make their wills under professional advice in times of health and sound judgment and dispose of their estates as a proper stewardship dictates. We counsel that none postpone this duty to a time of illness or emergency. Making his will in due time can shorten no man's days, but omission and delay have proved very injurious to many. Friends are reminded that marriage revokes a will previously made. And that after marriage a new will should be made without delay it should also be noted that in some states all real estate becomes subject to the law of entail upon the birth of the first child thus friends are urged to keep in mind the need for revising their wills from time to time as circumstances change friends are admonished to regard the possession of property as a stewardship valuable for proper use but liable to abuse remembering that all possessory rights are constantly subject to change through law. Property and its possession involve power. Modern ideals of social responsibility require that such power be administered under a sense of social concern. Even modest wealth requires watchfulness in its proper application. We have now completed our reading of the Book of Discipline. We hope that it has been helpful to those wishing to know more about Ohio Yearly Meeting. We would remind listeners that the full discipline is available on our website. A link is available in the show notes to this episode. This podcast was a production of Ohio Yearly Meeting. This episode was a reading of Ohio Yearly Meeting's Book of Discipline. It was read by Chip Thomas and the audio edited by the same. We welcome feedback on this or any of our podcast episodes. Contact us through our website, ohioyearlymeeting.org, or email us at oimconservative at gmail.com.